Story three of Retief, Intergalactic Diplomat in Space. Edward Short Sci-Fi, Volume Five. Cultural Exchange by Keith Lauer. Chapter One. Second Secretary Magnan took his green-lined cape and orange-feathered beret from the clothes tree. I'm off now, Retief. He said, I hope you'll manage the administrative routine during my absence without any unfortunate incidents. That seems a modest enough hope, Retief said. I'll try to live up to it. I don't appreciate frivolity with reference to this division, Magnan said testily. When I first came here, the Manpower Utilization Directorate, Division of Libraries and Education, was a shambles. I fancy I've made muddle what is today. Frankly, I question the wisdom of placing you in charge of such a sensitive desk, even for two weeks. But remember, yours is purely a rubber stamp function. In that case, let's leave it to Miss Furkel. I'll take a couple of weeks off myself. With her poundage, she could bring plenty of pressure to bear. I assume you're just, Retief, Magnan said sadly. I should expect even you to appreciate that Bogan participation in the exchange program may be the first step towards sublimation of their aggressions into more cultivated channels. I see they're sending 2,000 students to Deland, Retief said, glancing at the memo for record. That's a sizable sublimation, Magnan nodded. The Bogans have launched no less than four military campaigns in the last two decades. They're known as the hoodlums of the Nicodemian cluster. Now perhaps we shall see them breaking that precedent and entering into the cultural life of the galaxy. Breaking and entering, Retief said. You may have something there, but I'm wondering what they'll study under land. That's an industrial world of the poor, but honest variety. Academic details of the further students and their professors, Magnan said. Our function is really to bring them together. See, you don't antagonise the Bogan representative. This will be an excellent opportunity for you to practice your diplomatic restraint. Not your strong point. I'm sure you'll agree. A buzzer sounded. Retief punched a button. What is it, Miss Ferkel? That bucolic person from Lovenbois is here again. On the small desk screen, Miss Ferkel's meaty features were compressed in disapproval. This fellow's a confounded pest. I'll leave him to you, Retief, Magnan said. Tell him something, get rid of him, and remember, here at Corex-Q, all eyes are upon you. If I'd thought of that, I'd have worn my other suit, Retief said. Magnan snorted and passed from you. Retief punched Miss Ferkel's button. Send the bucolic person in. A tall, broad man with bronze skin and grey hair, wearing tight trousers of heavy cloth, a loose shirt open at the neck, and a short jacket stepped into the room. He had a bundle under his arm. He paused at sight of Retief, looked him over momentarily, then advanced and held out his hand. Retief took it. For a moment the two big men stood face to face. The newcomer's jaw muscles knotted. Then he winced. Retief dropped his hand and motioned to a chair. That's nice snuckle work, mister, the stranger said, massaging his hand. First time anybody ever does it to me. My fault, though. I started it, I guess. He grinned and sat down. What can I do for you? Retief said. You after this culture bunch, do you? Funny, I thought they were all ribbon-counter boys. Never mind, I'm Hank Arapolis. I'm a farmer. What I wanted to see you about was... He shifted in his chair. Well, out on Lovenboy, we've got a serious problem. The wine crop is just about ready. We start picking in another two, three months. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with the Bacchus vines we grow. No, Reedy said. Have a cigar? He pushed a box across the desk. Arapolis took one. Bacchus vines are an unusual crop, he said, pushing the cigar alight. Only mature every twelve years. In between, the vines don't need a lot of attention, so our time's mostly our own. 
We like to farm now, spend a lot of time developing new forms. Apples the size of a melon, and sweet. Sounds very pleasant, Meaty said. Where does the libraries and education division come in? Arapolis leaned forward. We go in pretty heavy for the arts. Folks can't spend all their time hybridizing plants. We've turned all the land over we've got into parks and farms. Of course, we left some sizable forest areas for hunting and such. Lovenburg's a nice place, Mr. Retief. It sounds like it, Mr. Aropolis. Just what? Come here, Hank. We've got long seasons back home, five of them. A year's about eighteen terry months. Uh, cold as hell in winter, eccentric orbit, you know. Blue, black sky, stars visible all day. We do mostly painting and sculpture in the winter. And spring, still pretty cold. Lots of skiing, bobsledding, ice skating. And it's the season for woodworkers, our furniture. I've seen some of your furniture, Reedy said. Beautiful work. Aropolis nodded. Lots of metals in our soil, and those sulfates give the woods some color, I'll tell you. Then comes the monsoon. Rain, it comes down in sheets. But the sun's getting closer, shines all the time. Ever seen it pouring rain in the sunshine? That's the music writing season. And summer, summer's hot. We stay inside in the daytime and have beach parties all night. Lots of beach in Love and Boy. We're mostly islands. That's the drama and symphony time. The theatres are set up in the sand, or anchored offshore. You have the music and the surf and the bonfires and stars. We're close to the centre of a globular cluster, you know. You say it's time now for the wine crop? That's right. Autumn's our harvest season. Most years we have just the ordinary crops, fruit, grain, that kind of thing. Getting it in doesn't take long. We spend most of the time in architecture, getting new places ready for the winter or remodelling the older ones. We spend a lot of time in our houses. We like to have them comfortable. But this year is different. This is wine year. Aropolis puffed on his cigar, looked worriedly at Retief. Our wine crop is our big money crop, he said. We make enough to keep us going, but this year... The crop isn't panning out? Oh, the crop's fine. One of the best I can remember. Course I'm only twenty-eight. I can't remember but two other harvests. The problem's not the crop. Have you lost your markets? It sounds like a matter for the commercial. Lost our markets, Mr. Nobody that ever tasted our wines ever settled for anything else. It sounds like I've been missing something, said Retief. I'll have to try them sometime. Aropolis put his bundle on the desk, pulled off the wrappings. No time like the present, he said. Retief looked at the two squat bottles, one green, one amber, both dusty, with faded labels and blackened corks, secured by wire. Drinking on duty is frowned on in the car, Mr. Aropolis, he said. This isn't drinking, it's just wine. Aropolis pulled the wire retainer loose, thumbed the cork. It rose slowly, then popped in the air. Aropolis caught it. Aromatic fumes wafted from the bottle. Besides, my feelings will be hurt if you don't join me, he winked. Retief took two thin-walled glasses from a table beside the desk. Come to think of it, we also have to be careful about violating quaint native customs. Aropolis filled the glasses. Retief picked one up, sniffed the deep rust-coloured fluid, tasted it, then took a healthy swallow. He looked at Aropolis thoughtfully. Hmm. Tastes like salted pecans with an undercount of crusted port. Don't try to describe it, Mr. Retief, Aropolis said. He took a mouthful of wine, swished it around his teeth, swallowed. It's Bacchus wine, that's all. Nothing like it in the galaxy. He pushed the second bottle toward Retief. Uh, the custom back home is to alternate red wine and black. Retief put aside his cigar, pulled the wires loose, nudged the cork, caught it as it popped up. Bad luck if you miss the cork, Aropolis said, nodding. You probably never heard about the trouble we had on Lovenboy a few years back. Can't say that I did, Hank. Retief poured the black wine into two fresh glasses. Here's to the harvest. 
We've got plenty of minerals on Lovenbry, Europolis said, swallowing wine. But we don't plan to wreck the landscape mining them. We like to farm. About ten years back, some neighbours of ours landed a forest. They figured they knew better what to do with our minerals than we did. Wanted to strip mine, smelt ore. We convinced them otherwise, but it took a year, and we lost a lot of men. That's too bad, Vitu said. I'd say this one tastes more like roast beef and popcorn over a Riesling base. It put us in a bad spot, Herapolis went on. We had to borrow money from a world called Crony, mortgaged our crops, had to start exporting artwork too. Plenty of buyers, but it's not the same when you're doing it for strangers. Say, this business of alternating drinks is the real McCoy, Retief said. What's the problem? Crony about to foreclose? Well, the loan's due. The wine crop would put us in the clear. But we need harvest hands. Picking backer scrapes isn't a job you can turn over to machinery, and anyway, we wouldn't if we could. Vintage season is the high point of living on Lovenbry. Everybody joins in. First there's the picking in the fields, miles and miles of vineyards covering the mountainsides, and crowding the riverbanks with gardens here and there, big vines eight feet high, loaded with fruit and deep grass growing between. The wine carriers keep on the run, bringing wine to the pickers. There's prizes for the biggest day's output, bets on who can fill the most baskets in an hour. Sun's high and bright, and it's just cold enough to give you plenty of energy. Come nightfall, the tables are set up in the garden plots, and the feast is laid on. Roast turkeys, beef, ham, all kinds of fowl, big salads, plenty of fruit, fresh-baked bread, and wine, plenty of wine. The cooking is done by different crew each night in each garden, and there's prizes for the best crews. And the wine-making, we still tramp out the vintage, that's mostly for the young folks, but anybody's welcome. That's when things start to get loosened up. Matter of fact, pretty near half our young'uns are born after a vintage. Oh, bets are off then. Gets a fellow on his toes, though. Ever tried to hold on to a gal wearing nothing but a layer of grape juice? Never did, Weedief said. You say most of the children are born after a vintage. That would make them only twelve years old by the time... Oh, that's loving by years. They'd be eighteen, Terry reckoning. I was thinking you looked a little mature for twenty-eight, Weedief said. Forty-two, Terry is, Herapolis said. But this year it looks bad. We've got a bumper crop, and we're short-handed. If we don't get a big vintage, crony steps in. Lord knows what they'll do to the land. Then next vintage time, with them holding half our grape acreage. You hocked the vineyards. Yeah, pretty dumb, huh? We figured twelve years was a long time. On the whole, we do said, but I think I prefer the black. But the red is hard to beat. But we figured was maybe you culture boys could help us out. Alone to see us to the vintage, enough to hire extra hands. Then we'd repay it in sculpture, painting, furniture. Sorry, Hank. All we do here is work out itineraries for travelling sideshows, that kind of thing. Now, if you need a troop of grouchy nose flute players. Can they pick grapes? No. Anyway, they can't stand the daylight. Have you talked us over with the labour office? Sure did. They said they'd fix us up with all the electronic specialists and computer programs we wanted. But no field hands. Said as what they classified as menial drudgery. You'd have thought I was trying to buy slaves. The buzzer sounded. Miss Furcall's features appeared on the desk screen. You're due at the intergroup council in five minutes, she said. Then afterwards there are the Bogan students to meet. Thanks, Retief finished his glass, stood. I have to run, Hank, he said. Let me think it's over. Maybe I can come up with something. Check with me day after tomorrow, and you'd better leave the bottles here. Cultural exhibits, you know. Chapter 2 As the council meeting broke up, Retief caught the eye of a colleague across the table. Mr. Waffle, you mentioned a shipment going to a place called Crony. What are they getting? Waffle blinked. The other fellow was filling in for Magnon over at Muddle, he said. Properly speaking, equipment grants are the sole concern of the Motorized Equipment Depot, Division of Loans and Exchanges. He pursed his lips. However, I suppose there's no harm in telling you they'll be receiving heavy mining equipment. Throw eggs, that sort of thing. Strip mining good. 
Waffle took a slip of paper from a breast pocket, blinked at it. Bolo model WV-1 tractors, to be specific. Why is model interested in meadows' activities? Forgive my curiosity, Mr. Waffle. It's just that Crony cropped up earlier today. It seems she holds a mortgage on some vineyards over on... That's not meadows' affair, sir, Waffle cut in. I have sufficient problems as chief of metal without probing into metal's business. Speaking of tractors, another man put in, we over at the Special Committee for Rehabilitation and Overhaul of Underdeveloped Nations' General Economies have been trying for months to get a request for mining shipment for Deland through metal. Scround was late on the scene, Waffle said. First come, first served. That's our policy of metal. Good day, gentlemen. He strode off, briefcase under his arm. That's the problem with peaceful worlds, the Scrounge committee man said. Bogue is a troublemaker, so every agency in the car is out to pacify her. Well, my chance to make a record, that is, assist peace-loving Deland, comes to naught. He shook his head. What kind of university do they have on Deland? asked Retief. We're sending them 2,000 exchange students. It must be quite an institution. University? Deland has one under-endowed technical college. Will all of the exchange students be studying at the technical college? 2,000 students? Ha! 200 students would overtax the facilities of the college. I wonder if the Bogans know that. The Bogans, why Master Deland's difficulties are due to the unwise trade agreement she entered into with Bogue. Two thousand students indeed. He snorted and walked away. Retief stopped by the office to pick up a short cape, then rode the elevator to the roof of the 230-store Core HQ building and hailed a cab to the port. The Bogan students had arrived early. Retief saw them lined up on the ramp waiting to go through customs. It would be half an hour before they were cleared, though. He turned into the bar and ordered beer. A tall young fellow on the next stool raised his glass. Happy days, he said, and nights to match. You said it, he gulped half his beer. My name's Kosh, Mr. Kosh. Yep, Mr. Kosh, boy, this is a drag sitting around this place waiting. You meeting somebody? Yeah, a bunch of babies, kids, how they expect, never mind. Have one on me. Thanks, you're a scabmaster. I tell you what I am, I'm a cradle rubber, you know, he turned to Retief. But one of those kids is over eighteen, he hiccuped. Students, you know, never saw a student with a beard, did you? Lots of times. You're meeting the students, are you? The young fellow blinked at Retief. Oh, you know about it, huh? I represent Muddle. Karsh finished his beer, ordered another. I came on ahead, sort of an advance guard for the kids. I trained them myself, treated it like a game that they can handle a CSU. Don't know how they'll act under pressure. If I had my old platoon... He looked at his beer glass, pushed it back. Had enough, he said. So long, friend. Or are you coming along? Retief nodded. Might as well. At the exit to the customs enclosure, Retief watched as the first of the Bogan students came through, caught sight of Karsh and snapped to attention, his chest out. Drop that, mister, Karsh snapped. Is there any way for a student to act? The youth, a round-faced lad with broad shoulders, grinned. Heck no, he said. Say, uh, Mr. Karsh, are we going to go up to town? We fellows were thinking, you were, huh? You act like a bunch of school kids. I mean, no. Now line up. We have quarters ready for the students, Retief said. If you'd like to bring them around to the west side, I have a couple of copters laid on. Thanks, said Kosh. I'll stay here until take-off time. Can't have the little deers wandering around loose. Make good ideas about going over the hill. He hiccuped. I mean, they might play hooky. We've scheduled your reembarkation for noon tomorrow. That's a long wait. Muddles arranged theatre tickets and a dinner. Sorry, Kosh said. As soon as the baggage gets here, we're off. He hiccuped again. Can travel without our baggage, you know. Suit yourself, Retief said. Where's the baggage now? Coming in aboard a chromie lighter. Maybe you'd like to arrange for a meal for the students here. Sure, Kosh said. It's a good idea. Why don't you join us? Kosh winked. Bring a few beers. At this time, Retief said. 
He watched the students still emerging from customs. They seem to be all boys, he commenced. No female students. Maybe later, Carr said. You know, after we see the first bunches received. Back at the model office, Retief buzzed Miss Ferkel. You know the name of the institution these Bogan students are bound for? Why, the University of Deland, of course. Would that be the technical college? Miss Ferkel's mouth puckered. I'm sure I've never pried into these details. Where does doing your job stop and prying begin, Miss Ferkel? Retief said. Personally, I'm curious as to just what it is those students are travelling so far to study, at core expense. Mr. Magnan never. For the present, Miss Ferkel, Mr. Magnan is vacationing. That leaves me with a question of 2,000 young male students headed for a world with no classrooms for them. A world in need of tractors, but the tractors are on their way to Crony, a world under obligation to Bogue. And Crony holds a mortgage on the best grape acreage in Lovenboy. Well, Miss Ferkel snapped, small eyes glaring under unplucked brows. I hope you're not questioning Mr. Magnan's wisdom. About Mr. Magnan's wisdom there can be no question, Retief said, but never mind. I'd like you to look up an item for me. How many tractors will Crony be getting under the metal program? Why, that's entirely metal business, Miss Ferkel said. And Mr. Magnan always, I'm sure he did. Let me know how about the tractors as soon as you can. Miss Ferkel sniffed and disappeared from the screen. Retief left the office, descended forty-one stories, followed a corridor to the core library. In the stacks, he thumbed through catalogues, pored over indices. Can I help you? Someone chirped. A tiny librarian stood at his elbow. Thank you, ma'am, Retief said. I'm looking for information on a mining rig. A bolo model WV tractor. You won't find it in the industrial section, the library said. Come along. Retief followed her along the stacks to a well-lit section lettered armaments. She took a tape from the shelf, plugged it into the viewer, flipped through and stopped at a squat armoured vehicle. That's the model WV, she said. It's what is known as a continental siege unit. It carries four men with a half-megaton second firepower. There must be an error somewhere, Retief said. The baller model I want is a tractor. Model WV-M1. Oh, the modification was the addition of a bulldozer blade for demolition work. That must be what confused you. Uh, probably, among other things. Thank you. Miss Ferkel was waiting at the office. I have the information you wanted, she said. I've had it for over ten minutes. I was under the impression you needed it urgently, and I went to great lengths. Sure, Retief said. Shoot, how many tractors? Five hundred. Are you sure? Miss Ferkel's chins quivered. Well, if you feel I'm incompetent. Just questioning the possibility of a mistake, Miss Ferkel. Five hundred tractors, a lot of equipment. Was there anything further? Miss Ferkel inquired frigidly. I sincerely hope not, Retief said. Chapter 3 Leaning back in Magnan's padded chair, with power swivel and hip pneumatic concontour, Retief leafed through a folder labelled SERP 7602BA, Croning General. He paused at a page headed Industry. Still reading, he opened the desk drawer, took out the two bottles of Bacchus wine and two glasses. He poured an inch of wine into each and sipped the black wine meditatively. It would be a pity, he reflected, if anything should interfere with the production of such vintages. Half an hour later, he laid the folder aside, keyed the phone, and put through a call to the crony legation. He asked for the commercial attaché. Reedy for courage, Q, he said airily. About the metal shipment, the tractors, I'm wondering if there's been a slip-up. My records show we're shipping five hundred units. That's correct, five hundred. Reedy waited. Uh, are you there, Reedy? 
I'm still here, and I'm still wondering about the five hundred tractors. It's perfectly in order. I thought it was all settled. Mr. Waffle, one unit would require a good-sized plant to hold its output, Ritu said. Now Crony subsists on her fisheries. She has perhaps half a dozen pint-sized processing plants. Maybe in a bind they could handle the ore ten WVs could scrape up, if Crony had any ore. It doesn't. By the way, isn't a WV a poor choice as a mining outfit? I should think. See here, Ratif, why all this interest in a few separate tractors, and in any event, what business is it of yours, how we plan to use the equipment? It's an internal affair of my government, Mr. Waffle. I'm not, Mr. Waffle. What are you going to do with the other 490 tractors? Understood the grand was to be with no strings attached. I know it's bad manners to ask questions. It's an old diplomatic tradition that any time you can get anybody to accept anything as a gift, you've scored points in the game. But if Crony has some scheme cooking... Nothing like that, Retief. It's a mere business transaction. What kind of business do you do with a Bolo WV? With or without a blade attached, it's what's known as a continental siege unit. Great heavens, Retief. Don't jump to conclusions. Would you have branded us warmongers? Frankly, is this a closed line? Certainly, you may speak freely. The tractors are for a transshipment. We've gone ourselves into a difficult situation, balance of payments-wise. This is an accommodation to a group with which we have rather strong business ties. I understand you hold a mortgage on the best land on Lovenbroy, Retief said. Any connection? Why? Uh, no, of course not. <laughs> Who gets the tractors eventually? Retief, this is unwarranted interference. Who gets them? They happen to be going to Lovenbroy, but I scarcely see... And who's the friend you're helping out with an unauthorized transshipment of grant material? Why, uh, I've been working with Mr. Gulver, a Bogan representative. And when will they be shipped? Why, they went out a week ago. I'll be halfway there by now, but look here, Retief, this isn't what you're thinking. How do you know what I'm thinking? I don't know myself. Retief rang off, buzzed to the secretary. Miss Ferkel, I'd like to be notified immediately of any new applications that might come in from the Bogan Consulate for placement of students. Well, it happens by coincidence that I have an application here now. Mr. Gulver of the Consulate brought it in. Is Mr. Gulver in the office? I'd like to see him. I'll ask him if he has time. Great, thanks. It was half a minute before a thick-necked, red-faced man in a tight hat walked in. He wore an old-fashioned suit, a drab shirt, shiny shoes with round toes, and an ill-tempered expression. What is it you wish? he barked. Understood in my discussions with the other, uh, civilian, there'd be no further need for these irritating conferences. I've just learned you're placing more students aboard, Mr. Gulver. How many this time? Two thousand. And where will they be going? Cronley. It's all in the application form I've handed in. Your job is to provide transportation. Will there be any other students embarking this season? Why, perhaps. That's bog business. Gover looked at Retief with pressed lips. As a matter of fact, we had in mind dispatching another 2,000 to Featherweight. Another underpopulated world, and in the same cluster, I believe, Retief said. Your people must be unusually interested in that region of space. If that's all you wanted to know, I'll be on my way. I have matters of importance to see to. After Gulver left, Retief called Miss Ferkelin. I'd like to have a break out of all the student movements that have been planned under the present program, he said, and see if you can get a summary of what Medal has been shipping lately. Miss Ferkel compressed her lips. If Mr. Magnan were here, I'm sure he wouldn't dream of interfering in the work of other departments. I overheard your conversation with the gentleman from the Crony Legation. The lists, Miss Ferkel. I'm not accustomed, Miss Ferkel said, to intruding in matters outside our interest cluster. That's worse than listening in on phone conversations, eh? But never mind, I need the information, Miss Ferkel. Loyalty to your paycheck should send you scuttling for the material I've asked for, Retief said. I'm taking full responsibility. Now scat. The buzzer sounded. 
Weetief flipped a key. Maddle, Weetief speaking. Arapolis's brown face appeared on the desk screen. How do we do? Okay if I come up? Sure, Hank. I want to talk to you. In the office, Arapolis took a chair. Sorry for rushing you, Weetief, he said. But have you got anything for me? Weetief waved at the wine bottles. What do you know about Crony? Crony? Not much of a place, mostly ocean. All right, if you like fish, I guess. We import our seafood from there. Nice prawns in monsoon time. Over a foot long. You on good terms with them? Sure, I guess so. Of course, they're pretty thick with Bogue. So? Didn't I tell you? Bogue was a bunch that tried to take us over here a dozen years back. They'd made it, too. If they hadn't had a lot of bad luck, their armor went in the drink, and without any armor, they're easy game. Miss Ferkel buzzed. I have your lists, she said shortly. Bring them in, please. The secretary placed the papers on the desk. Oropolis caught her eye and grinned. She sniffed and marched from the room. Well, that girl on these is a slippery time in the grape mash, Arapolis observed. Reedy thumbed through the papers, pausing to read from time to time. He finished and looked at Arapolis. How many men do you need for the harvest, Hank? Reedy inquired. Arapolis sniffed his wine glass and looked thoughtful. A hundred would help, he said. A thousand would be better. Cheers. What would you say to two thousand? Two thousand, Reedy, if you're not fooling. I hope not. He picked up the phone, called the Port Authority, asked for the dispatch clerk. Hello, Jim. Say, I have a favour to ask of you. You know that contingent of Bogan students? They're travelling aboard the two CDT transports. I'm interested in the baggage that goes with the students. Has it arrived yet? OK, I'll wait. Jim came back to the phone. Yeah, Retief, it's here. Just arrived. It's a funny thing. It's not consigned to the land. It's ticketed clear through to Lovenbroy. Listen, Jim, Retief said. I want you to go over to the warehouse and take a look at that baggage for me. Retief waited while the dispatch clerk carried out the errand. The level and the two bottles had gone down an inch when Jim returned to the phone. Hey, I took a look at that baggage, Retief. Something funny going on. Guns. Two millimetre needlers, Mark 12 hand blasters, power pistols. It's okay, Jim. Nothing to worry about. Just a mix-up. Now, Jim, I'm going to ask you to do something more for me. I'm covering for a friend. It seems he slipped up. I wouldn't want word to get out, you understand. I'll send along a written change order in the morning that will cover you officially. Meanwhile, here's what I want you to do. Retief gave instructions, then rang off and turned to Arapolis. As soon as I get off a couple of TWXs, I think we'd better get down to the port, Hank. I think I'd rather see the students off personally. Karsh met Retief as he entered the departures enclosure of the port. What's going on here? he demanded. Some funny business with my baggage consignment. I won't let me see it. I've got a feeling it's not being loaded. You better hurry, Mr. Karsh, Retief said. We're scheduled to blast off in less than an hour. Are the students all loaded? Yes, blast you. What about my baggage? Those vessels aren't moving without it. No need to get so upset about a few toothbrushes, is there, Mr. Karsh? Retief said blandly. Still, if you're worried. He turned to Aropolis. Hank, why don't you walk Mr. Karsh over to the warehouse and uh, take care of him? I know just how to handle it, Aropolis said. The dispatch clerk came up to Retief. I caught the tractor equipment, he said. Funny kind of mistake, but it's okay now. We're being offloaded at Deland. I talked to the traffic controller there. He said they weren't looking for any students. The labels got switched, Jim. The students go where the baggage was consigned. Too bad about the mistake, but the armaments office will have a man along in a little while to dispose of the guns. Keep an eye out for the luggage. No telling where it's gotten to. Here! A hoarse voice yelled. Retief turned. 
A disheveled figure in a tight hat was crossing the enclosure, arms waving. Hi there, Mr. Gover, Retief called. How's Bogue's business coming on? Piracy, Gover blurted as he came up to Retief, puffing hard. You've got a hand in this, I don't doubt. Where's that Magnan fellow? What seems to be the problem, Retief said. Hold those transports, I've been notified that the baggage shipment's been impounded. I'll remind you, that shipment implies diplomatic free entry. Who told you it was impounded? Never mind, I have my sources. Two tall men buttoned in grey tunics came up. Are you Mr. Reti for CDT? One said. That's right. What about my baggage? Gover cut in. I'm warning you if those ships lift with up. These gentlemen are from the Armaments Control Commission, Reti said. Would you like to come along and claim your baggage, Mr. Gover? From where? I... Gover turned two shades redder about the ears. Armaments? The only shipment I've held up seems to be somebody's arsenal. Retief said. Now if you claim this is your baggage. Why impossible? Gover said in a strained voice. Armaments? Ridiculous. There's been an error. At the baggage warehouse, Gover looked glumly at the opened cases of guns. No, of course not, he said dully. Not my baggage. Not my baggage at all. Aropolis appeared, supporting the stumbling figure of Mr. Kosh. What's... what's this? Gover sputtered. Kosh! What's happened? He had a little fall. He'll be okay, Aropolis said. You'd better help him to the ship, Retief said. It's ready to lift. You wouldn't want him to miss it. Leave him to me, Gover snapped, his eye slashing at Kosh. I'll see he's dealt with. I couldn't think of it, Retief said. He's a guest of the Corps, you know. We'll see him safely aboard. Gover turned, signaled frantically. Three heavy-set men in identical drab suits detached themselves from the wall, crossed to the group. Take this man, Gover snapped, indicating Kosh, who looked at him dazedly, reached up to rub his head. We take our hospitality seriously, Reethy said. We'll see him aboard the vessel. Gover opened his mouth. I know you feel bad about finding guns instead of schoolbooks in your luggage, Reethy said, looking Gover in the eye. You'll be busy straightening out the details of the mix-up. You'll want to avoid further complications. Uh, yeah, Gover said. He appeared unhappy. Aropolis went on to the passenger conveyor, turned to wave. Your man, he's going too, Gover blurted. He's not our man, properly speaking, Edith said. He lives on Lovenboy. Lovenboy? Gover choked. But the... I... I know you said the students were bound for Deland, Edith said, but I guess that was just another aspect of the general confusion. The course plugged into the navigators was to Lovenboy. You'll be glad to know they're still headed there, even without the baggage. Perhaps, Gover said grimly, perhaps they'll manage without it. By the way, Retief said, there's another funny mix-up. There were some tractors, industrial use, you'll recall. I believe you cooperated with Crony in arranging the grant through metal. They were erroneously consigned to Lovenboy, a purely agricultural world. They saved you some embarrassment, I trust, Mr. Gover, by arranging to have them offloaded at Deland. Deland, you put the CSUs in the hands of Bogue's bitterest enemies? But they're only tractors, Mr. Gover, peaceful devices. Isn't that correct? That's correct, Gover sagged. Then he snapped erect. Hold the ships, he yelled. I'm cancelling the student exchange. His voice was drowned by the rumble as the first of the monster transports rose from the launch pit, followed a moment later by the second. Retief watched them out of sight, then turned to Gover. They're off, he said. Let's hope they get a liberal education. Chapter 5 Retief lay on his back in deep grass by a stream, eating grapes. 
a tall figure appeared on the knoll above him and waved. Retief! Hank Arapolis bounded down the slope and embraced Retief, slapping him on the back. I heard you were here, and I've got news for you. You won the final day's picking competition, over two hundred bushels. That's a record. Let's get on over to the garden. Sounds like the celebration's about to start. In the flower-crowded park, among the stripped vines, Retief and Aropolis made their way to a laden table under the lanterns. A tall girl dressed in loose white and with long golden hair came up to Aropolis. Delinda, this is Retief, today's winner, and he's also the fellow that got those workers for us. Delinda smiled at Retief. I've heard about you, Mr. Retief. We weren't sure about the boys at first, two thousand bogans, and all confused about their baggage that went astray. But they seemed to like the picking, she smiled again. That's not all. Our gals like the boys, Hank said. Even bogans aren't so bad, minus their irons. A lot of them will be staying on. But how come you didn't tell me you were coming, Retief? I'd have laid on some kind of big welcome. I like the welcome I got. I didn't have much notice. Mr. Magnum was a little upset when he got back. It seems I exceeded my authority. Arapolis laughed. Had a feeling you were wheeling pretty free, Retief. I hope you didn't get into any trouble over it. No trouble, Retief said. A few people were a little unhappy with me. It seems I'm not ready for important assignments at departmental level. I was shipped off here to the boondocks to get a little more experience. Delinda, look after Retief, said Arapolis. I'll see you later. I've got a seat to the wine, judging. He disappeared into the crowd. Congratulations on winning the day, said Delinda. I noticed you at work. You were wonderful. I'm glad you're going to have the prize. Thanks. I noticed you, too, flitting around in that white nighty of yours. But why weren't you picking grapes with the rest of us? I had a special assignment. Too bad. You should have had a chance at the prize. Delenda took Retief's hand. I wouldn't have anyway, she said. I'm the prize. <laughs>